This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. get back off that diet coke monkey again yeah you got that wait are you on the monkey or is the monkey on you i'm trying to get off the monkey <laughs> get off that monkey welcome to overdue this is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and yeah, what just is like, up with your diet coke monkey just in retrospect deciding to get hooked back on caffeine again <laughs> like right as philadelphia <laughs> instituted a soda tax was like not my most fiscally responsible decision yeah that i could have made that's not i am we don't need to get all political about soda here i am largely in favor (laughs) of the beverage tax though i recognize that it might be steeper than it probably should be whatever it's first of its kind. It's, an, I'm not it's a grand anti, experiment. Yeah. I'm not anti-soda tax. It's just I'm anti-me paying more money for things tax. <laughs> yeah, this seems to be the, the age-old struggle of taxes, huh? It's like they're really good in theory, but like, but not me though, right? Yeah, I'm real happy about tax money, like helping people, but like, don't take my money. Oh, oh, not my money. This is my money. Welcome. No, to- I don't. Yeah, I don't care. This is like, <laughs> I want to be off it anyway because it makes my stomach feel weird, and I don't. Oh yeah, I don't like needing it. Yeah, so you like to that be- has more to do with it than the beverage tax yeah. thing, but the fact that it is so expensive now. Sure, it's another disincentive. Is yeah, all. you like being Mister Independent. I, however, love that I have to serve my coffee mistress every morning. I have, I need it, and that's fine. It t- it's one less thing I have to come up with to do in the morning. Mm-hmm. Plus, you can like have cool mugs. We have we have a million mugs, and we never use them for anything. <laughs> you get ice cream out of them. Mm, we got bowls for that, though. Yeah, it was fun when you put it in a mug. Let's talk about a book, right? <laughs> Let's talk about a book. So on this Poor show... Steam and Hot Mug of Book Podcast. <laughs> on this show, uh, we talk about books, and one of us reads them and talks to the other person about them. Andrew, you read this book. What is it? I read The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. Okay, and had you ever heard of this book before? I had, yeah. Okay, me too. I had never read it, so... We're talking about it for the show. It was one I think I had tried to read once, like probably before I was too, before I was old enough for it and I gave up. So I remember it like being in the melange of books that might have been assigned. It was not on my list of books that Craig didn't read, but I remember. You mean that specific list of school assignments that you were supposed to read and didn't? Yes, correct. If you haven't listened, if you haven't been a long time listener, (laughs) I think going all the way back to our very first episode, episode every one. once in a while, Craig 
Craig busts out something that I'm sure his teachers would be surprised to hear that he had never read before. <laughs> I wrote some pretty good papers in my day. Uh, this book is written by Amy Tan, so we'll talk about Amy Tan first. Uh, she was born in 1952 in, I believe, Oakland, California. Is that what you mm-hmm. have, Andrew? Yeah. Um, and she near Frisco. In, oh, in old Frisco. Uh, both of her parents were born in China. Uh, they had left towards the end of the Chinese Civil War, which like was apparently like ten years longer than I thought it was. It was like twenty five, thirty years long. Um, I did not think. I don't. I didn't have a length in mind about the Chinese Civil War. Like I had no preconceived notions about its length. Is what sh- I'm saying. Sure. Um, so they left there. Her father was an engineer. Uh, he passed away along with her older brother when she was 15, which caused uh, her mom Daisy to take them to where Switzerland, I think, where she where she studied. You sound awful tentative about a lot of I'm, this. I'm looking at five different notes at once. Yes, she took her and her younger brother to Switzerland uh, where she finished school. The interesting thing about her mother, and this may or may not like weave its way into the book, um, her mom had a previous marriage while she was in China and had four kids. One of them passed away, and it wasn't until much later in her life that Amy Tan actually got to meet her three half-sisters. Um yeah, there are definitely snippets of that in in this book. Not sure. the the broad strokes are the same, and I think the um, the details may be a little different. And that seems to be the story for a number of Amy Tan's books. Her mother and their relationship was a, like has been a big muse for her. Yeah, like um, themes that she returns to over and over again are um, like mother daughter relationships, and then mother daughter relationships viewed specifically through the lens of like immigrants versus like so like the chinese experience and then the chinese american experience yes yes um other notes about tan she attended and then dropped out of linfield college which was a source of ire between her and her mom she left because she met her now longtime husband uh, on a blind date and was like well i'm going with you to san jose <laughs> so <laughs> they took off for san jose and then she got her degree down there and then left during her doctoral studies uh, she was one of those writers who, after doing some work in like uh, language development, she did a bunch of odd jobs. She was like a business writer for like IBM and AT and T. A business writer? Yeah, like doing business, like corporate writing. I think. Okay, sure. Like documentation and and stuff. Not I like PR. Know. I don't know. It I just, just like when you say I think her when bio say says business writer. Hold business on. writer doesn't mean anything. She was like, there's free- so much writing that can happen with a business. This is she was a freelance business writer for telecommunications companies, and she worked for ma- you know management consulting firms and things. So I don't know. I guess I'm probably the only one who's <laughs> on the planet Earth who's gonna get all amped up about. What well? What specific kind of business writing did you do? Uh, she didn't get into writing fiction professionally until the mid '80s. Um, she attended a fiction workshop at the Squaw Valley Community of Writers uh, in California, mm-hmm. where uh, a woman named Molly Giles gave her some short story advice, uh, which actually led to some of the stories that made it into this book. 
Um, and then this again, was as we've as we've said many times, it's never too late to become a novelist. So never don't too give late. up I think that dream. Her late thirties, I think, when this was published. So uh, published eighty nine, turned into a film in ninety three. Joy Luck was. Uh, some of her other books include The Kitchen God's Wife, Hundred, The Hundred Secret Senses, and The Bone Setter's Daughter. Uh, Bone Setter's Daughter was written shortly after, or little ways after her mother passed away from Alzheimer's. Um, she's also a classically trained pianist, Andrew. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I knew that. Which she used when uh, to her advantage when she wrote the libretto for the opera of The Bone Setter's Daughter. She's a multi-talented woman, Miss yeah. Amy Tan is. Mm-hmm. Um do you have anything else specific on Amy Tan before I share with you my fun nug? Uh, no, give me bust out that fun nug. Have you ever heard of the Rock Bottom Remainders, Andrew? They sound like a cool band. They are an American rock and roll band consisting of published writers, most of them amateur musicians. I say most. Okay. Uh, it, this group has included Amy Tan, Dave Barry, Stephen King. <laughs> Dave Barry, not you again. Stephen King, Roy Blunt Jr., Matt <laughs> Groening, uh, honorary member Maya Angelou, <laughs> among is, others. Wow, okay. And they go on tour. They've performed recently. I found YouTube videos of Amy Tan uh singing one way or another with the rock bottom remainders in Philadelphia. Uh, she oh, also, wow. okay. yeah, I need to, f- I need to, I need to go on a Wikipedia dive about <laughs> this band. Cause the, it sounds pretty legendary. The remainders take its name from, uh, the idea of a remaindered book, which is the unsold remainder of a publisher's, uh, stock of copies that then gets sold at reduced prices. Mm-hmm. So they do like charity concerts and stuff like that. Um, I think she, she dresses up in like elaborate costumes when she does it. And, She's not maybe the best singer, but she's having a freaking blast. So that's yeah. When you're already got a got a main hustle going, yeah. Like you don't have to be great at your side hustle as long as you're having a good time. Welcome to Overdue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then this is from uh, her website. Um, under her like bio, she then has a list of influences that are just like bullet points for things that she writes about. So some of these we might have mentioned already, but things that influence her as a writer include The American Dream and a Chinese Family's Interpretation of That, uh, free books from the library every week, and reading books that appeared in the banned book list, Mm -hmm. uh, not listening to my mother's endless complaints about her life, and then finally listening and realizing she had good reasons to complain. Uh and the early deaths of my older brother and father and my mother's belief that I would die next, and then listening to my mother and her friends gossip in Chinese, understanding Chinese, but not being able to speak it. That is a a singular experience that I have no access to and can only imagine what that <laughs> must mean, be like. You mean understanding a language and not being able to speak it? Yeah. I, like... I didn't have the same experience in high school with Spanish, but I think that most people who who take a crack at a second language. Like, I think it's pretty common to be able to understand without being able to speak. Oh, sure. Before I forgot all, all my French like that, that was my experience. But I, I'm also talking like the cultural experience of people in your house that you live with, that you are related to like speaking a language that you like having a language barrier 
within the family. Yeah. yeah. And and what that means for you like knowing what they're talking about but not being able to participate in the same way. Um Well, then in Joy Luck there is a there's one character whose mother doesn't speak a lot of English and so she often ends up interpreting what her mother is saying for other people and she you know, she she some sometimes puts like a positive spin on it to like avoid awkward Ooh. confrontations and, okay. and that kind of stuff. Okay, kind of a mom filter. Everyone needs a good mom filter. I just I, this is something you see on QVC, <laughs> at like two in the morning. The mom filter. <laughs> mom filter. I want to talk about this book. Do you have Me anything too. else you want to talk I don't. about? First? No, but we should take a break probably. So there is something you want to talk about first. Yeah. Let's take a break, though, first. First. Hey, everybody, you're listening to a podcast, right? Craig, that's what they're doing? Yeah, I'm listening and participating in one right now. Right now. So if you're listening to a podcast, you know eventually somebody's going to start talking to you about Squarespace. It's just how it works. And for you, that time is right now. Craig, <laughs> tell me about Squarespace. Well, Squarespace uh, is a website that helps you make <laughs> websites. So if mm-hmm. you are trying to do something in this next year, this current year, in a future year and you want people to find out about it, you better put it on the web. You better have a beautiful web presence. Listen, the internet is not just a fad. It's here to stay, and you need to have a web presence. I'm glad you pointed that. I was worried it was a fad, and it looks Mm -hmm. like it's not. So you need Squarespace, and you need their beautiful award-winning designer templates. Um, You can make a website or an online store. You don't have to know how to build it through code like they have it ready for you. Um, you don't need to patch it. It's like an all-in-one platform. You just like type in Squarespace, and then you're there. However, it works. Think of um, it like a like pizza. Like when you order from Domino's, you don't need to know how to make the pizza. You don't need to know how to like get the pizza to your house. Like it's an all-in-one they have pizza, pizza delivery templates. system. <laughs> it's and, true. And they have yeah, they have templates for like, do you want a pepperoni pizza? Here we got a template for that. Do you want meat lovers? Do you want a chicken bacon ranch? Do you like what do you want? We got it. I'm worried that this Squarespace ad has turned into a Domino's ad. Let's keep going. <laughs> no, well, Domino's has a website, and you should too. <laughs> is what I was gonna bring it all together, okay. and you just you interrupted me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Squarespace also has uh, award-winning 24-7 customer service that can help you out if you have any problems. Um, they have unique domains when you sign up, um, and they can you can use Squarespace to make all sorts of websites. You could make a pizza website if you wanted. A Domino's fan site. Oh, do it. Mm-hmm. Devote a whole website to that Pete from the Pizza Tracker, dude. You can do it. <laughs> you should start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off your first purchase, which better be a Pete the Pizza Tracker fan site. Better be the Pizza Tracker fan site. Squarespace, make your next pizza move. <laughs> All right, time to talk about a book, huh? Oh boy, yeah, I guess it is. So what is the Joy Luck Club, Andrew? The Joy Luck Club is a group of Chinese immigrants in San Francisco, or Frisco, as people from Frisco like to call it. Do the people in the book call it Frisco, or just people? 
occasionally people in the book call it Frisco. And you've been to San Francisco, so I just trust that you've like you're there and you're like, Oh, what's up, Frisco? Yeah, and welcome, goes, welcome to Frisco. A... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the experience. You get off the plane, they're like, Enjoy your time at Frisco. Please call it Frisco. Um, get so back on these, the plane if you call it San Francisco. Yeah, no, it's it's Frisco. So it's yeah, these um Chinese immigrant families living in San Fran in Frisco. I'm sorry. Oof, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get together and they play mahjong. Okay. And they eat food and they uh, buy stocks. Okay. As a group, you know, like it's a it's <laughs> okay. a. Like there will be groups in like retirement homes or in whatever that are like they're just they get together and they pool their money and they just put some money in the stock market. It's like a little investment club. You know what I mean? Have you ever encountered this? This I don't know that I have. It makes sense. It's not like that thing where it's like a you put all your money in a chest and then whoever dies last gets it. No, not, that's a tontine. Okay, it's not a tontine. It's a group stock it's market. It's not a tontine like the one that we're in with several of our friends. <laughs> Correct. Um, this podcast is not legally binding. Um, so it's it's more of a like when we're bored of mahjong, we pool our money together and buy stocks. Well, it was yeah. They in the book they they say it's a thing where like some of them were clearly better at mahjong than the others. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is another thing that they can get to do together. Oh, okay. That's well. That's um, cool. Yeah, so Not... they don't like take it super seriously. But you make a little bit of money playing them stocks. Okay. Okay. Playing the stock ponies. And these, you see, these are a couple of these are people from a couple different families. It's four families primarily. Okay. okay. Um. So you've got okay. So all right, let me back up a little bit. So that's the Joy Luck Club. It's these four families um, of immigrants. Um, what the book primarily focuses on, and it jumps around a lot, there are a lot of like short stories, are the um, the mothers from these four families, uh-huh. and then their daughters. Okay. And this is, you know, like we said, this is something that Amy Tan's work focuses on a lot, is sure. like the immigrant experience, and then what it's like to be American, but also the the daughter of immigrants. Yeah, the first generation experience, sure. Right. Um, so where do we want to go from here? Do I guess you is my want question. to, so it's, how is the book structured? Cause I know we don't want to just do a like plot blow by blow because I don't think the book is structured that way. It's set up in four sections and actually I, I, I do not know Mahjong enough to like, I've played like windows 3.1 Mahjong <laughs> like anybody else, but I don't, I'm not like intimately familiar with the game. But it's set up into four different sections, and apparently the way the book is set up sort of mirrors the way a Mahjong board is set up. Because I think you play Mahjong Mahjong with like four people, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm with you. I've only ever played Windows Mahjong, which I understand is just clicking on stuff that's not You just click on it if it matches. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's actually real Mahjong. Mahjong. Okay, so it's set up in four it's sections. Four, yeah, four sections. So the first section is about um, mostly about the mother's stories of their childhoods in China, and all and, you know, all of them from China. Yes, right. Okay. Right. Um, and then the middle two sections are about the daughters, um, about childhood, and then about adulthood for all of them. And then in the fourth section, you get mostly 
the mothers as adults having already mostly having already immigrated not okay. like exclusively but going back going back to the mo- the moms from the first section but now they're in america mostly yeah okay okay um, um are there like are they all equally weighted as characters are there one or two that kind of emerge if there is a main character and there isn't really like i think most people pretty much get equal time but the book starts and ends with the story of um jing mei wu or mm-hmm. june as she's called um she's in her mid-30s and as the book opens her mother su yan wu i i'm pretty sure i'm pronouncing all this stuff right or close to right okay um has just passed away okay um and so june has felt sort of aimless for a lot of her life and this is something that we find out like sort of started in her childhood with her mother who wanted her to be some kind of prodigy and Mm. it wasn't especially important what kind of prodigy (laughs) she just wanted her to be a a gifted like child star and so they would like cycle through different obsessions every couple of weeks just trying to find out if she had a natural talent for any of them like eventually they music and and yeah eventually they settle on piano Okay, okay. And um, they set her up with a piano teacher who ends up being deaf, and so he lets her get away with being lazy and not actually actually learning the stuff. And so she has a rehearsal, like a recital with her family there, and her mother has invited a bunch of, like everybody, because she wants to show her daughter off, and then... June ends up being terrible and the only person like the deaf teacher is clapping and shouting bravo bravo and everybody else is like <laughs> that's an amazing scene I really yeah. like that scene I think oh, it's no. during like a talent show or something but oh, yeah she gosh. definitely bombs pretty bad oh no um, <laughs> so the deal with um uh Suyang Woo is she um, she was married in China. She had twin daughters, and during the war, like she, like she had to flee her city alone mm-hmm. with these babies. And she just, she gets to the point where she can't, she just can't carry them anymore. Like she, her hands are all like blistered and bleeding, and it's just like impossible to hold on to these like babies anymore. Mm-hmm. So she wraps them up with like the money that she has left, and she writes on the back of these pictures, like. Bring if you find these babies, bring them here, and I'll like come and meet you. But that never, like, they never, yeah, turn up. Yeah, okay. Um, and so she comes to she immigrates to America, and she and she has June, and um, and she never gives like June doesn't know that that her mom is doing this, but she has never really given up hope that she's gonna find these babies and like be reunited with them someday. And so she's like writing letters and and to the people she still knows and trying to find them. And it's really rough because um, just the war disrupted so many things and like so many names have changed and, and it's just, it's, it's really difficult to find anything. Well, and and she's carrying that around by herself, right? Like she's, she's, does her husband know that she had kids back there? Yeah, he, he knows. Um, and I think June even hears the story at some point. Okay. Um, and so the so the book opens with um 
June going to a meeting of the the Joy Luck Club and she's taking her mom's place for the first time. And all the like the mothers in the Joy Luck Club say like, oh, you're you're we like these twin girls sent a letter like right after your mom died, like asking for information about her. And like you need to you need to go and like tell them all about your mom so that they like know where they come from and stuff. Oh gosh. Okay. And she, she had like a, she's had a strained relationship with her mom. And I think that's true of most of the, most of the women in this book. Okay. Okay. Um, both for like generation, just like normal generational stuff and like cultural stuff. Um, yeah. I've got a quote. Yeah. I can read about that in a minute. That, okay. But yeah, the book opens with that and then it ends with June going to China with her dad, I believe, and like meeting her family and meeting these women, her older sisters, and um, sort of finally connecting with her Chinese roots and with her mother. And, and that's where the book ends. Okay. That's so a short episode. <laughs> yeah, well, see you later. Um, well, yeah, and a little bit of the reading that I've done on the book kind of... Yes, you could reduce the some of the conflicts in this book to being about generational misunderstanding, but it also seems like there's other just cultural or class differences or, or interpretations of things as the as the younger generation grows up in America. So, is there anything mm-hmm. that you want to dive into in between the, with the differences there's, that they're struggling with? There's a quote toward the end from um so lindo jong is or, or jong is um one of the mothers and she's got this thing toward the end like she's with her daughter and like they're getting her haircut for her daughter's second wedding and she's sort of ruminating on what she wanted for her children i guess oh okay um So let's see here. Uh, How can she think she can blend in? Only her skin and her hair are Chinese. Inside, she is all American made. It's my fault she is this way. I wanted my children to have the best combination, American circumstances and Chinese character. How could I know those two things do not mix? I taught her how American circumstances work. If you're born poor here, it's no lasting shame. You're first in line for a scholarship. If the roof crashes on your head, no need to cry over this bad luck. You can sue anybody. Make the landlord fix it. You do not have to sit like a Buddha under a tree letting pigeons drop their dirty business on your head. You can buy an umbrella or go inside a Catholic church. In America, nobody says you have to keep the circumstances somebody else gives you. She learned these things, but I couldn't teach her about Chinese character. How to obey parents and listen to your mother's mind. How not to show your own thoughts to put your feelings behind your face so you can take advantage of hidden opportunities why easy things are not worth pursuing how to know your own worth and polish it never flashing it around like a cheap ring why chinese thinking is best uh no this kind of thinking didn't stick to her she was too busy chewing gum blowing bubbles bigger than her cheeks only that kind of thinking stuck Hmm. um so yeah so that's the kind of stuff you get from the mother's perspectives is like not not so much disappointment in the kids but a sort of feeling of personal failure that that they were not able to impart more of their own like values and and culture on their children and then from the from the kids point of view you get um not quite resentment but this feeling that they can never satisfy their mothers and never live up to to what they want and and the language and communication barrier is like a factor in that 
Oh, okay. But a lot of it is is like the cultural. That's a tough needle divide. to thread. <laughs> it seems like because well, what is it? What was the top of that quote? Like something like um, appearance wise, their daughters, you know, would always. Like they only were, her only her skin and her hair are Chinese inside. Yeah. She's all American made. And then I wanted my children to have the best combination, American circumstances and Chinese character. How could I know these two things do not mix? Yeah, that's one of those things that you that you see in dialogue about race now, even to and different cultures that have immigrated to the United States of what is it to assimilate and what what different cultures want to do in terms of assimil in, in terms of assimil assimilation excuse me assimilation assimilation um <laughs> and like how do you preserve parts of your culture while like what is it about american culture that you actually are interested in yeah um, and then and you get into a whole lot of stuff like the the book doesn't really interface with it a ton okay but you you know when you're when you're talking about actual real life race relations like yeah you don't belong to the culture that your parents came from but also you're not just like white american whatever yeah, like like yeah. the you're you're in an in between place that is not always like comfortable to 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 be in well and it seems um, and it sounds like the book is is at least articulating at least in this passage anyway that you yeah, that are, that in between space is really difficult and very unique. It's a it's a unique in between space for each in between space. That's a bad way of putting it, <laughs> you know. But like for each for each culture that we that we like put as a prefix to American in whatever mm-hmm. way that that's useful or not, mm-hmm. um, each of those compound words or identities are unique in like their own ways too. Right. Um, yeah. There, there's not like one immigrant experience. There's not one. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and the book. And so, so I didn't want to like kick the discussion off with a, with a talk about like the shortcomings and stuff. We, we can do some more, like I can tell you some more examples of like the stories if you want, before we get into um, yeah. reactions to the book and reactions I, to the film in particular. Yeah. I know we, we both kind of found some of that literature, but I want to make sure we talk about, any you know one or two of the other characters as well so is, are there another like story or two that you really recall uh or there responded is, to there's one um so on may uh on may sue is one of the mothers and she we spent a lot of time with her as a child with her own mother who um so her husband dies and then she is sort of tricked into getting into bed with this like wealthy businessman gangster type guy in China and then, uh, in China and okay. becoming a concubine like a, his fourth wife I think Yee, okay and so like not only is she like drawn into the circumstance against her own will but also her family like disowns her for dishonoring her for dishonoring her late husband's memory in, in large part. Um, So we get a lot about like the machinations of this, the second wife who is, who is manipulating everybody else and, and ordering the house to like to, to suit her and 
like he has all these wives because he's trying to have a son and they keep having daughters and keep having daughters. And um, on May's mother has a son and then the second wife takes and we don't I we don't learn her name. I think she is referred to <laughs> oh, as no. second second wife. Ugh. My favorite video game. My favorite video game, second wife. I love logging into second wife. I love playing second wife. <laughs> I'm holding my next poetical wowie in Second Wife. <laughs> um, yeah, so Second Wife like claims her son as, as like An May's mom's son as her own, and this this whole this whole thing. Um, and then a couple of the daughters' stories revolve around their marriages to um, non-Chinese men. Oh, okay. Um, so there's this one guy. Who, um, like just who, American dudes? Yeah, there's so, so, uh, Rose Sue Jordan, who, um, is on May's daughter, has married this guy who makes all the decisions for them. Like, he's really decisive, and for a long time, that just kind of works. And she gets to the point where she's not even like consulted or, or like not involved in the decision making process in that family at all. And then he, gets slapped with a malpractice suit. He's a doctor. And after that, he starts wanting her to make a bunch of decisions. And then like it, I don't know. It just like, crumbles. It crumbles under a bunch of resentment after that. <laughs> oh man. And, um, are the, are the younger generation, like, are they in contact with each other? Are these, are these like, you get, in- you get references to the other daughters in, the stories because their their moms are in this joy luck club so they all like kind of ran into each other periodically and they're they call each other's moms like aunties but it's not like there's a kids table but, they, at the but joy no luck they club. but they aren't like close pals and a couple of them even like june and um waverly Zhang, um they don't seem to get along very well okay in particular um waverly was like a childhood chess champion hmm uh, so there's this whole story about her doing that. Like there, there are a lot of like interesting little in- vignettes throughout. Um, sure, sure. Reads pretty quickly, and I, I don't. I'm not going to say that the prose is like the the most fun I've ever had reading a book. Like it's it's. I don't have a lot of passages selected to read. In like terms of like a turn do. of phrase, you, yeah, you like a right. good turn of phrase. I do. I appreciate a good turn of phrase, and there are not. You did not like the, respond to some in the same the way. Pa- the passage I read, the su- like I, I liked the American circumstances and Chinese character bit because it kind of summed, like toward the end of the book, it summed it up, like it encapsulated it in one, like three or four paragraph section. Sure, sure. Um, but I forget what the point I was trying to make. Well, it's that was, like but, there are interesting like the, vignettes. The stories, are, yeah. the stories are fun, even if the prose is like fine and i think this was her like first novel after sure. a life of not writing novels so like that's if she's not doing anything like groundbreaking with the with the actual words that she's writing then that's like fine she tells As, the, she tells she tells the stories effectively she's so i fine. mean she's a business writer andrew so yeah she does she writes no. writing is her business <laughs> actually, well now she's a very successful novelist so whatever um so now what do you want she, now writing is her business it's, hey uh, so what do you want to talk about with the response to the book and the film? Do you want to just like, do you have, can you set the table for the film and what it is first? 
at all. I wanna, so the the main criticism and what will see, and we talked about this a little bit before, but this is one of many times where I feel like we as white guys are not equipped to like critique this book for propagating stereotypes. Like I think no. normally when we read books by like African American writers or or whatever, we um like when I'm doing my research on on that kind of stuff, like I'm not finding stuff that says, oh, this perpetuates a bunch of stereotypes. Like Um Well usually when we are reading books that have been like thoroughly canonized, we know like what they're bringing to the table. Um, and I will say, I, I agree with you, I did not know going into this book that there had been kind of, neg- you know, not just kind of, but some very negative responses to its portrayal of Chinese American culture or immigrant Chinese culture. Well, and you were you were reading something um, in our pre-show discussion that I thought was interesting with mm-hmm. that that it accused like, like do you know which one i'm talking about oh the one yeah. That, yeah um this is an essay so uh this comes from a book like a collection of uh essays called a companion to asian american studies there's an essay by a guy named frank chin who's a chinese american author and it's called come all ye asian american writers of the real and fake and he points to an early chinese fairy tale in the book that is you uh affirmed is like made up by Amy Tan. Like it's not referencing a particular actual fairy tale of any kind. Um, And he takes issue with it. Uh, He calls it Confucian culture as seen through the interchangeable Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese mix, parentheses, depending on which is the yellow enemy of the moment of Hollywood. Um, And he writes about Tan and some other authors as as Asian American authors kind of perpetuating a myth that their culture is disconnected from Chinese culture or whatever uh, Asian country um, the writer writer's family might be from. Mm-hmm, um, right. And I don't, my initial response to that is like, a, I, I, I don't have a personal one cause I can't have a personal one. Um, knowing Amy, the little bit of story about Amy Tan and her life I would imagine I'm going to attempt to expend to like extend some empathy to her that like this is what she saw as a as a woman growing up as a first generation. Oh yeah, like to the extent you know, that this is autobiographical and it's it's important to know that it's not because I think sometimes it is assumed that it is it is not. Yeah, it's not. Like true stories. I I think that it is drawn from her experience. So I don't want to accuse it of being like inauthentic in that way, but Yes. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that it doesn't perpetuate stereotypes. Yeah. Shin goes on to say that he takes issue with um, how this work and other works um, by some other authors perpetuate myths of uh, like levels of misogyny that are higher than you know American culture, um, or that there's some sort of mythical collectivism to Chinese culture, um, or that there was in fact this like death of first you know death of true chinese culture in the first generation of uh chinese americans born here and he kind of points to a lot of uh stories and beliefs that continue and are very strong uh and draw on uh chinese culture that have not gone away um 
and he's reacting to I think this to this type of story as a like generational and cultural disconnect and saying maybe that's not as black and white as it seems Mm -hmm. um so that's that's one place you can go to read about some of the response to this book there have been other like less uh overtly negative responses to this story Um, yeah there there's um and plenty of positive ones as well (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> there's one uh, by Cortina Richardson uh, writing for Jezebel. This piece is about like, oh, seven yeah, years old piece. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she had an African-American father and a Malaysian mother. And so she's writing about the experience of watching the Joy Luck Club as somebody who has Asian heritage, but has never really extensively like interfaced with it. Sure. And doesn't like really could have a deep connection with her with her roots um and so if you scroll all the way to that bottom of the article to the bottom of that article there's a postscript where she writes um the one part of the joy luck club that i certainly did identify with is the asian mother style of criticism you must always be the best no no better than the best like this recent exchange illustrates Cortina, why do you always say keep improving your writing at the end of all your emails about my articles? Mother, even Dostoevsky kept improving his writing. Dad continues to improve his writing. I continue to improve my writing. Roger Ebert continues to improve his writing. Like that. Get it now? <laughs> That's a <laughs> That mom rules. And it's the kind of thing, and this, and this happens in the book a lot, where... um the mother might not intend it totally in the way that so so like the mm. on the daughter end of it you get a message like keep improving your writing and you internalize that as a message that your mom thinks your writing is bad yeah yeah um where in reality it's it's your mother just like stating of stating a fact in a way that doesn't make sense to an american sensibility i so, guess yeah i found okay so i fell down a wikipedia rabbit hole oh while boy. researching this book and i uh-huh. ended up on an article called high and low context cultures now there are probably all sorts of problems with this guy edward hall's book beyond culture i won't pretend i haven't read it i don't know but this concept at least seems reasonable that in particular uh in-group cultures or or cultures or groups of people where there's a lot of um, homogeny in terms of makeup, um, you have uh, a lot of information can be conveyed with uh, like few words or a simple gesture. Um, In this case, right, keep improve your writing. It means a lot more than just your writing is bad. Make it better. (laughs) It it is like conveying a value about self-improvement and continuing to work hard. Um, and so that's like a high context form of communication or high text cult- culture and a low context culture, which as this guy accuses the United States of being, um, you can't, you don't presume a lot of overlap in terms of what people understand. So people are a lot more explicit and feel like they have to explain themselves more um, or, you know, back up what they're saying, you know. It's a, it was an interesting idea that I kind of ran across based on, um, you know, countries or groups of people that are that have more diverse backgrounds, and then when you have a group that, you know, can presume shared knowledge, you don't have to be explicit with 
as explicit with things. And that's like mm-hmm. true of any internet culture also. Like once you like get into a group of people, you kind of just use the same words and they all mean different things. Yeah. Um, but that that's one way of understanding like the language barrier in this book, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other things like it, it does the, and, and I actually saw um, one of my uh, Asian American friends on Twitter talking about this, like divorced totally from the context of Joy Luck Club, just like, she happened to be tweeting about it while I was reading and thinking about this book. Oh, sure. Um, but where like China is often like represented in culture as some like monolithic thing. Yeah. And in sure. fact, there are a lot of like racial divides and, and um, economic divides and gender divides and all kinds of this stuff. Yeah. In that. Um, same... And this, and this mm-hmm. book is a bit guilty of that because all these women are from pretty different circumstances. But by the time you get to the present day portions where you're in Frisco hanging out like those those differences that are in their backgrounds don't seem to matter all that much to their characters. Oh, OK, that's valid. Like, cool. I think a lot of the time you can. And then this isn't universally true in the book, but I think in the book, a lot of the time you, the characters are a little interchangeable. Like as long as you know that it's a mother or a daughter speaking, it's not super important which one of them is that's like doing the speaking. And, and so the varying stories allow her to allow Tan to kind of dip into some different circumstances, but maybe the characters aren't as defined by those circumstances i guess sort of that's what i'm saying <laughs> okay sure I'm just, well i'm just saying like well, okay so one one person like fled from war one person was the like was the daughter of a concubine of some rich like businessman but by the time you're they're talking to their daughters in frisco they're just like oh here's a here's an older chinese woman who immigrated to america oh, okay yeah many years ago sure you know okay. what i mean um, and then a lot of the criticism or I don't even know if it's criticism. Like I want, I want to talk about the movie real quick. Okay. It's made in 1993. Made in 1993. And there are, so there are good things about the movie and there are bad things about the movie. As you understand it, I have not seen it. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. No. Okay, great. So we're talking just, about, just, <laughs> I no, just, just, like, just want to make sure what we're doing. Well, again, and this is, this is reading about like what, like so there's a, an article that I found in um on a site called Hyphen Magazine by uh, Noah Cho and he's talking on the 20th anniversary of the movie back in like 2014 he's writing about so at the time it was a little revolutionary for this like mainstream Hollywood movie yeah directed by Wayne Wang who's a Hong Kong born film director yeah but for um a Hollywood movie like a like one that entered the public consciousness and it's about Chinese culture and it did not like cast white people in any other roles. Sure. Mm-hmm. It did. And this is a phenomenon that's sometimes referred to as yellow face um, in movies. And anytime you see a white person on screen playing an Asian person, that's yellow face. And that, and that I don't, it, it, 
is not as bad today as it was like 20, 30 years ago. No, what you think. see. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. So what like, you see um, today are things like uh, the controversy around, say, Iron Fist or the upcoming movie Ghost in the Shell. Right, where, I was going to mention Ghost in the Shell, where yeah. you just like white, you cast some white person in the, in the role of a. Well, yeah, and you just. Of say someone the, who is Asian in fiction. Yeah. Yes. Like you are adapting a work. Uh, that is pre-existing where a character is is of a of a particular background and you say well well we got this white actor so they'll just do it um that is a different type of it's either whitewashing or, or a different type of yellow face but mm-hmm. same problem right representation etc um and then Cho says um it re- you know reinforced some negative stereotypes about Asian men women and children um there are like everybody, every Chinese woman in the book is sort of a beautiful, beautiful China doll. There was a there was some article oh, okay. I read about it that, yeah, that referred to it as the China doll stereotype, where they're all like slim and delicate and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I saw and, that too. Mm-hmm. And then there are stereotypes about like, oh, Asian men are gangsters. Asian men are like henpecked, like submissive husband types. Asian men are like mysterious advice giving men. Sure. You know, it's it's sort of the mystic Negro trope, like okay. mm-hmm. reapplied. <laughs> I, um and then he says the last thing I just I wanted to hit on real quick. Um he says, and though many film critics at the time lauded Joy Luck for its quote unquote authentic casting, that too is more problematic. Now, in revisiting this film as an adult, I was struck by two specific elements, the prevalence of monolithic Asian casting and the presentation of fam- of the male characters in the film. And he goes on to note that yes, there are many Chinese people in this movie and people of Chinese descent. Um, there are also people of Vietnamese descent and Japanese descent just kind of thrown in the mix because it's all Asian, I guess. Yeah, that's that's actually a thing that um, the Phil- like many theater communities, including Philadelphia's, are dealing with um, in terms of because a lot of the cities have growing uh, Asian populations of varying descents, and you're looking to you know make sure you have a pool of actors to properly play roles, and that that's a thing that is unfortunately still an issue. Um, and has certainly been a huge topic of conversation in like in my field in the last five years um, as certainly as as also a lot of artists are maturing and, and have a greater voice and have a and have a larger platform to speak about it, which is a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I but. can't like some of the reason why I feel like I'm having trouble discussing stuff and, and stumbling through things maybe a little more than usual is at this at this point in the podcast where we're like 230 something episodes yeah in, mm-hmm. i feel like i have a decent grasp on the way that america is racist toward black people oh sure mm-hmm. yeah like i i i have i i will never ever ever profess to like fully understand the extent of of the racism that African Americans have to like deal with in in this country. But I do think I have a pretty good like working knowledge of the issues and and the timeline with Chinese Americans and, and Asian Americans in general. Like I don't, I don't have as much context for that. So I'm coming to joy luck club being familiar with like that, you know, the meme of the disappointed 
Asian parent. Yeah. Yeah. Who's always telling you to do better in math class or whatever. And mm-hmm. I have heard that there is some truth to that meme, but like, well, it's aside yeah, from it's, that, I don't like when you enter the, wh- hmm. so like there's a fine line between in fiction, there's a fine line between stereotype and archetype. That line becomes incredibly charged when race and identity ish, like when that becomes part of the equation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of those come from the same place. And, and I think a, a lot of us are doing a lot of soul searching recently on like how we feel about some of that stuff. Um, and to your other point, like I feel like we've also developed a working vocabulary on the show of uh, like women writers and, and, and where feminism has charted and, and kind of woven mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. and out of some of the books that we've been reading. Yeah. But that certainly is not the same thing as some of these other issues that we're talking about right now. And I'm with you. Like, I feel like this is not just, as we said earlier, it's not just an immigrant experience book. It is the, is a Chinese and Chinese American experience. Yeah. Um, right. So, so like, I'm not part of the reason so much of my research focused on, like stereotypes and the way that Chinese Americans and Asian Americans have, have encountered and experienced Joy Luck Club. It's not because I think the book was bad. I don't think sure. it's because Amy Tan's like intentions were bad. I don't think any of that. It's just, it's like me trying to educate myself on, okay, like what, like what specific kinds of stupid racism do we as a country inflict on <laughs> on these people on a daily basis yeah and i think that's i'm really glad that you did that because i feel like this the we could do a bad job of just having you read joy luck club and be like oh that's how things were and then just like walk away from it and like wipe our hands and say good podcast see you next week yeah good podcast time and good one and I think also like it's a thing that you and I have talked about and, and try to be more aware of as our audience has gotten bigger too, where it's like it's you know, the audience is not just you and me hit and record anymore. Mm-hmm. Um so trying to follow up on these books in ways that we haven't uh even a year ago, I think is is something that we're trying to do more often when it when it really is important to our understanding of the book. Yeah. Um, when it's so, a just a when it's just a dead white guy, we're just gonna show up and make fun of it. Like that's <laughs> that's the plan. Um, I do want to like bef- to you know find a personal connection to some of the stuff in this book. Andrew, is there a thing that you're worried of? Like, let's say you had kids, right? Let's say I did. Let's say you did. Like, is there a uh, fear that you have that like they will have a like cultural difference or be different than you in a way that will like Ooh. that will concern you and it, you can make it goofy or you can make it serious no i do actually have one thing that i'm a little worried about so um I, as i i've i think i've mentioned this on the show a couple times like we didn't have a ton of money when i was growing up we weren't like mm. we weren't like at the poverty line or anything i'm not going to say we were truly scraping by but i think we were a paycheck to paycheck family yeah. for mm-hmm. i hear you a lot of my childhood and i think what i one of the things i internalized and took away from that was and especially from like my dad was just like this 
this need to be independent, especially financially, like in a lot of ways, but especially financially and a need to like be able to provide for myself and like my family and the people who I love. And so I do, I, I'm doing fine. Like I'm doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We like, again, not like super rich, but we do, you know, we just bought a house. We, yeah, ha- we are going to take a vacation in Italy in a couple months. Like we are, we are living that, that comfortable middle-class lifestyle. Sure. And if we do have kids, like barring some unforeseen catastrophe, I don't think they're going to want for anything. And again, not that I like wanted for a ton of stuff, but like I couldn't get something just because I wanted it. Yeah. So and, like, like what is that going like, to mean if, for who your kids end up being? Yeah. Right. Like if my okay. kids, if my kids want something, yeah, probably based on where we are right now, like that we can get them most of the stuff that they want. Sure. Um, and like so so will i be able to impart the like a uh, a desire to stand on on their own feet and, and do hard work but also simultaneously like be compassionate toward other people and i don't know but. and not like but also not foist a particular financial sensibility upon them if it is not their their like true self right yeah yeah i hear that i'm worried about like you should do a goofy one do you have a goofy okay. one okay um, no, you can do a serious one if well you my, want. my serious one is just not having a solid adult dad schema like i just like my dad kind of like left my life by the time i was like mm, between 10 and 14 in a real like real listen, way like, listen okay you're you're presenting this as a problem well no because i'm a, saying he's... like you get to you get to I it's get to make you, up what dad is. It's not is. even that you get to color outside the lines. You get to draw the lines first and then color <laughs> in them however you want. And you can be secure in the knowledge that you can do pretty much anything and do better than your dad did. Well, that's so if good. it's like if that's it's a like a contest, thing. like a dad contest. Sure. That's a good thing. Yeah. But but it's more in a like <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed I don't I have not been able to watch like I can't go back and watch tape to prepare for the big You don't game. have like dad tape? You don't yeah, have, I don't like, have like a play by play for when I show up on big game piano recital Sunday like I don't know what to do. How to be better myself. than the other dads, yeah. Yeah, it's always a contest with the other dads, let's be honest. Um so like that is a thing and I don't know like similar to to what you said like I don't know what that's going to do for you know, if and when we have kids, like what that means for who they grow up to be. Because um, I've like, I see my, you know, other people that I'm friends with and my wife and, you know, you guys and you're in a different category, um, apparently. Um, <laughs> okay. People like closer than friends, but not actually family. Business um, associates. Business business writers. Um, yeah, business writers. That like have relationships with their dads and like what is that as an adult so like that's just a thing i'm aware of um and and who that might shape any any kids that i have and how that might shape them Mm -hmm. so yeah that's i mean we made my we made my answer a little goofy i guess my other i I mean i'm really concerned about socks and we've talked about that on the show and and shoes and the fact that kids grow like if i just like you're just concerned about having to buy that many socks and shoes yeah it's not like a generational culture thing like i'm just concerned about the fact that kids grow and you have to buy them more stuff (laughs) (laughs) 
But on the other hand, for like those first three or four years, you get to dress them like exclusively in what you want them to be dressed in. I saw a baby wearing a hat that looked like the top of a strawberry today. Nice. It was pretty cool. (laughs) That's pretty great. I think my favorite kid outfit was a, a Halloween when we still lived in Ohio um, we were hanging out in the like the only bar in in Gambier, and a little kid walked in dressed as Chewbacca, oh, like a little baby God. Chewbacca boy. Um, I'm worried my kids are going to grow up and just be Chewbacca. How about that? That's my fear. That's that's a funny one. You, they're not going. You're not going to be able to Im- implant those traditional Kashyyyk Han Solo values <laughs> values into your Wookiee kids. I think that does it for us this week. If you, uh, I think once you mentioned Kashyyyk, you gotta like wrap <laughs> it up. Hit this, hit pull the ripcord. Um, so this has been overdue. It's a podcast with the books you've been meaning to read. Um, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us at twittercom pod or facebookcom pod. Uh, we got a lot of folks writing us in the last week, like week and a half since we didn't do this last week. Um, a lot of people were responding to the fact that we didn't talk about Muppet Treasure Island at all. I'm not going to lie. I never watched Muppet Treasure Island. I don't, I don't think I ever watched it either. Nope. Cue our menchies. All right, yeah, everyone. Rip, um, rip, rip our menchies. <laughs> thanks to Michael, uh, Elise, Elizabeth, Amy, Gary, Aaron, Starfish, Jennifer, Terry. It's Nicoleps, Nick. Nicolepsy, Sophie, Graham, Sean, Eric, Jess, Melissa, Catherine, Ariel, Becky, Carrie, Rachel, Katie, Aaron, Catherine different Catherine, nada mary kate boven anna megan worst bestsellers isabel hoops charlotte bob aaron jennifer grace valerie marcy tessa chris bummer nicholson lady something that just says lady i don't know who that is and talitha thanks everyone uh we also get emails at overduepod at gmail.com andrew folks want to know more about the show where should they go they should go to overduepodcast.com which is our squarespace power internet website Ooh, synergy um, where you can find links to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, RSS. Those are all feeds you can use in your podcast app of choice to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they go up, usually on Monday, sometimes when we have bonus episodes, as we do uh, coming up. Um, you get the downloads whenever they're available. Um, we have links to HeadGum, our podcast network, uh, Spreaker, our podcast host. Oh yeah, review us on iTunes if you haven't already. We've gotten a bunch of really nice reviews lately that I'm a big fan of. Um, we have Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read, so you can buy them and read along if you want. We have a link to our Patreon page, which you can use to financially support us if you think our dumb words are worth American currency. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else? And we all we also have a pr- like a preview list of of what's coming up. So, Craig, what's coming up? Well, first coming up, uh, this will hit Patreon feeds first. But we just did our Cloud Atlas episode. Uh, Sorry, March bonus, March bonus, um, and then the next up is the Bell Jar. So we'll be talking about that as well. Okay, great. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, good podcast, everybody. Thanks good for work, listening. Everyone. And until next week, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>